0: You ever feel typecast by uh, your invention of the thruster? Yeah, possibly. I've had Wayne say to me, "You're more than just a three fin," so it um, made me think about it a little bit. And but as the years go on, and you know, guys on the tour are still surfing high-performance thrusters, and it's kind of design I was responsible for. It's you know, it's it's a good thing, and it got me to be able to do boards for Kelly and Andy, probably at critical times for them and for me been racking my brain and
1: working hard to come up with something groundbreaking and new and I guess we all are and uh, those sort of things don't come along too often. When I bought out the thruster uh, it wasn't accepted as well so uh, if I have brought out a
2: new design and it hadn't been accepted well you know I'd be prepared for that
0: on creators and innovators this month we are featuring the shaper shack a four-part series featuring australia's finest board builders published every tuesday from inventing the thruster to developing renewable surfboard materials incorporating artificial intelligence into shaping scaling a global business shapers like simon anderson daniel thompson phil burn and his son Parrish, chris garrett and many more share their blueprint for their business and they also speculate on the future of board building. Just search creators and innovators in your podcast feed and then click subscribe. New episodes every Tuesday through the month of April. Welcome back to the show. In celebration of Earth Day this month, we're offering these snack-sized PSAs about sustainability and how to improve our living environment. Nick Timponi is our resident expert. He has a degree in sustainable science management. He and his father, famed surfboard builder Jeff Timponi, are committed to the cause on Maui. They're building Maui leaf light construction boards from renewable and recycled materials, And we're actually giving away a surfboard on May 1st. This show is listener-supported with an assist from the brands that you'll occasionally hear me talk about. But listeners are the backbone. And anybody who makes a financial contribution to the show in the month of April will be entered to win this custom-made pill model Maui Leaf Light. Setting up a recurring $5 monthly donation is the norm, but any size donation will get you entered to win. I've been riding this board. I've got a 5'8". I love it. I have pictures of it on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. If you win it, Jeff Timponi will build a custom one to your specs, and you'll only be responsible for shipping costs. Here's Jeff's son, Nick, with a bit of truth about sustainability for you to digest.
2: Balance. It's something we as surfers are quite familiar with. Balance of our toes and heels front foot, back foot, but not only on our surfboards. Outside the water, we also search for balance. Balance between our work, play, and family, our religious and spiritual beliefs, even our diets and bank accounts. When our lives become out of balance, we feel it. And just like when we're surfing, if we feel off balance, we either recorrect or we crash. Crashing allows us to get back on our board and try again. Yet, just like in life, very rarely are the conditions the same the second time around in parallel with life in and out of the water ecological sustainability is all about balance and our environment left to its own functions is a master of finding balance though not always in the fairest ways and not always in our perceived timely fashion the environment has no understanding of time and no deadlines to meet or at least not in the way we consider them The environment exists regardless of its own well-being, thriving, or barren. It exists through massive, almost uncomprehensible timelines and natural forces. Through geological and ecological forces that push and pull natural cycles and systems. Through climatic, biological, and organically chemical forces that shift back and forth in a constant tug-of-war, recycling actions for reactions. But a healthy environment is always adjusting and checking itself to find balance around a constantly oscillating equilibrium. Yet regardless of nature's immense powers to self-regulate, we as humans are able to unintentionally press on certain leverage points, imposing our influence on it. Take the earth's climate for instance, a topic at the forefront of environmental sustainability, which if you recall umbrellas every other form of sustainability on the planet, and is a serious matter for our own well-being. The climate, as I'm referring to it, is a long-term view of global weather trends. Think 10, 20, 100, or even 1,000, or 100,000 year periods. After all, the Earth is billions of years old. These are just snippets of time. From this perspective, we can see multi-millennial movements in climate activity. This is not to be confused with the day-to-day or month-to-month rain and shine patterns more commonly known as weather. Also noteworthy, the Earth's climate is almost always moving, but in slow motion compared to our daily lives, so it's hard to identify. In this case, our global temperatures are increasing, though it's not so much the direction it's moving we should be alarmed about, but rather the pace at which it's moving. And by almost all scientific observations, Its pace has quickened with our exploitation of natural carbon reserves, i.e. fossil fuels. Fossil fuels like crude oil are very useful and important in modern times, but also considered non-renewable resources. Extraction and combustion of these resources create one of the biggest, if not the biggest, leverage point for climate change, which is CO2, or carbon dioxide co2 is a compound released when we burn fossil fuels for energy generation it plays a big role in conventional agriculture practices and is created through many other anthropogenic activities it is also released into the atmosphere in many natural ways co2 is to plants what oxygen is to humans and animals plants big and small breathe in co2 and exhale oxygen But along with this natural exchange, CO2 also has a large influence on the temperature of our planet. With higher levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, the average global temperature rises. As you might expect, with lower measurements of atmospheric CO2, the temperatures go down. This is evident in historical and current observations, marked by periods of global warming, which we're in now, and global cooling, like the Ice Age. These are great examples of the Earth's constant balancing act, an act that is being destabilized from our disruption of long-standing natural carbon cycles and altered to meet our own growing energy demands. If you're not aware of why a stable, balanced climate is so important, I'll just briefly mention some of the threats that can come from a destabilized climate. Threats like sea level rise, which inundates coastal regions displacing their populations, spoiling groundwater sources and costing billions of dollars for new infrastructure replacements, extreme weather patterns that lead to deadly heat waves and droughts, torrential rains and floods that displace more communities and create environments for infectious diseases to thrive. And perhaps one of the more relatable issues for surfers comes with elevated ocean temperatures and CO2 concentrations, ocean acidification, and coral bleaching. One effectively kills temperature-sensitive coral reefs, and the other essentially makes the ocean's pH levels too acidic to grow new coral. With no living coral reefs, we can forget about living, breathing, healthy oceans. Need we be reminded that more than two-thirds of the planet is covered in oceans? And maybe the scariest part is everything that was just mentioned is already happening. I don't like to think of these things, and even more, I don't like to spread doom and gloom to others, but it really punctuates the severity of what we face as our global population and demand for energy, food, and plastics are increasing. Being the most impactful creatures on our environment, how should we feel about this? How should we react to this situation, seeing that life appears to be pretty normal? More often than not, global issues like climate change can seem too big for any one individual to make a difference. But in fact, it is every individual that can make a difference. Making small changes to our daily lives really starts to add up as a global community. Simple acts like refusing single-use plastics and carrying your own reusable cups or utensils instead. Avoiding unnecessary driving when possible. Electing to ride a bike, carpool, or take public transportation. This can save you money, reduce traffic, and reduce emissions. Shop local and shop organic whenever you can support business owners in your community, and support products that mirror your own values. Try to consume less, and when you do consume, go for quality over quantity. Though these are small actions, they help us identify where we can make a difference, find a little more balance, and create positive change.
0: Thank you, Nick. More from Nick next week. Again, surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate is where you go to support this show. And that'll entitle you an entry to win that Maui Leaf Light board from Tim Pony. You will be stoked. And that brings us to today's guest, artist Richard Phillips. Phillips has a master's in fine art from Yale. He discovered surfing later in life, but has really become embraced by some of the most hardcore surf communities both in and around New York and then also on the North Shore of Oahu. Stories he'll get into in this conversation, along with what it's like to surf Pipeline for the first time, working with Andy Warhol, making a surf film with Lindsay Lohan and Taylor Steele, and why the ocean is the ultimate editor. We recorded this conversation in his studio in Brooklyn before getting some world-class barbecue. We were surrounded by his work, some very, very large-scale, realistic paintings, portraits. And by large-scale, I mean one of these was at least 10 feet by 10 feet. Really crazy to see the detail of such realistic portraiture up close at that scale. Anyways, I'll jump us into the middle of our conversation where I was admiring a Josh Hall fish that he had in the corner of the room. I'll post photos of that on social media at Surf Splendor and on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with New York artist Richard
1: Um, it actually came through um, a conversation that I was having with uh, Taylor Steele uh-huh. and um, with uh, our friend Tyler Rahr. Um And I, I remember a session, a winter session with the two of them. It was just the three of us out. It was a it was a big day. It was in Long Island. It was just a few years ago. And uh, I was out on some type of knifey shortboard or something like that. And um, and Tyler was sitting out the back uh, with this uh, longfish you know Josh Hall longfish that he um, and uh, and it was it was amazing. I, I ended up um, uh, trying it that day and just getting waves that I utterly was not getting <laughs> on the yeah. shortboard that I was on and then and then again, uh, I would say it wasn 't that long ago that I was out surfing with um, with with Taylor and he had this long fish also and his was pure white as this great and the, and the rails felt fantastic and it was kind of a marginal day not so great and he was catching everything you know and just having a blast and I was like just just sinking <laughs> you yeah. know and not and uh, so I tried his board and I was like god this is so fantastic and so then my quest to to get one of Josh's longfish uh, began, okay. and um, and you know the color of this board is something that I've is a board color that I've always wanted, and I and I had seen online or whatever it was, maybe it was one of his personal boards, and I think that was quite likely. This kind of uh, luminous, almost fluorescent green, and I was like, oh my god, that would be fantastic to have a longfish, um, you know, and uh, and that. In that special color, and so uh, yeah, I put the order in, and um, and he was, you know, Josh was great. He was able to turn it around, and you know, I've, this year it's been it's been a board that I've been surfing um, on my return to Rockway, which I hadn't been surfing in Rockway for many years, and um, uh, this past year I just started surfing there again, having a great time.
0: Mm. Well, uh, why hadn't you been surfing there? Is there a story there?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I'd learned to surf at Rockaway, you know, ultimately. I started surfing in the the fall of 99, um, 2000, and so I... uh, Wait, is that true? No. (laughs) I'm trying to think, no. In the um, fall of 2000, excuse me. um, That's when I started surfing. um, And uh, I I think I surfed there for probably like two and a half years or something like that. And then I ended up... um, just getting, at that time, it, things were pretty much um, focused on 90th Street, you know, the the jetty there, and that's, I literally, I learned, I mean, that first fall, um, I started in October, you know, and then went through the winter and then visited a friend out in LA and kind of continued it out there and came back, bought a winter suit, and kept going, you know, and it was, you know, it was the. It was a hard road, you know, and and because the winter suits were not so fun at that time. Right. But that's what you do, and so I stuck with it. And um, but it really was, um, you know, I think it just like the lineup. It was super. It wasn't crowded like it is today, but it was like very focused. And there were some individuals out there that everyone knows that were that was there, that were there that was just making it um, not like super fun. So um, friends were going over to. Um, the different uh, breaks out in Long Beach and I just started going there and um, and through like just dedication of being on all the different jetties <laughs> I like can uh, a lot on I would say uh, Laurelton Washington you know Grand Street um, you know uh, then sometimes down at Pacific I would say you um, yeah, there was it was just about dedication, and then at the same time, I started surfing out east and um, the beach breaks in Amagansett, and then in the and when I, I for about a decade, I had a house out there, uh, that I rented in Amagansett and Montauk, and so I did a lot of surfing out in Montauk out there mm-hmm. as well. But locally, you know, when I'm working in the studio, I just get in the car and and I would go out to Long Beach. And then there was like a period of time that I, like a hiatus that I took from surfing for a few years, and um, and then I got back to it in the last couple of years, and that's when I returned to Rockaway, because it was, you know, obviously closer to where yeah. I'm living here in Brooklyn, and um, and uh, friends were saying that it was good, <laughs> and then I just stopped, and I haven't been back to Ninetieth straight, I don't even know what that looks like, but... I've been surfing with friends um, at you know, a little bit further down the beach, and it's been really fun, and there's been some good surf lately, so that's been interesting.
0: How old were you in 2000 when you started surfing?
1: <sighs> 38.
0: Why did you start surfing at 38?
1: Well, I grew up on the water um, in Marblehead, Massachusetts, uh, which is a coastal town that's known worldwide for um, sailing. And so I grew up as a competitive yacht racer and um, and back in those early days uh, i in, I even got into windsurfing, but keep in mind this was the first days of windsurfing so I literally uh, with a friend um, like tried out one of the earliest windsurfers you know up on a lake in um, in, in New Hampshire, and then we brought it down and got uh, you know we got a couple of more and then we would windsurf so my first experience with surfing was terrorizing the surfers in my hometown back at this time with winds and this was not like a good interaction you know Uh, the surfers were not happy it's
0: notoriously Uh, contentious uh,
1: yeah and it was it was bad um uh, nothing ever came to blows in the parking lot or whatever but um you know, we were out of control on these windsurfers. We were pretty good at it, enough, good at it enough to be in the surf with them, but it was, um, so that was kind of an ignominious, uh, ignominious beginning to, um, surfing, and I, I never really picked it up. I mean, I just continued, uh, racing sailboats, um, um, the windsurfing kind of fell off at that point, and I would, I continued on, and, um. It wasn't until uh, yeah it wasn't until 1999 to, well actually it wasn't until 2000 when I moved to Hawaii for a year um, and not to Oahu but the big island. and I lived in Kona um, and um, I lived uh, um, down by, in this little cove uh, near the Kona Tiki Hotel and there's like a little body border break right out front. and you know I was there for the year and so our better part of a year and um i was um like getting over like a, a health issue that i had and i was um just getting my strength back going to the gym every day and then and i got a like a a bodyboard which is a whole different culture out in hawaii it's like a, it's not like it is here i mean it's it's really serious and people out there like are the ones they i mean they're really often credited for the first people to discover certain breaks. And then on the Big Island, it was kind of a big thing. There's some really pretty good breaks there for that. This was one of them. And so, and because I was just kind of getting back into, like getting my strength back, I ended up um, doing that. And um, I did try surfing, like, one, like by the end of the time that I was staying there, but, I, uh, but it was, wasn't anything uh, serious. So when I came back to... New York, and met up with my friends, they were all surfing at 90th Street, and I brought like my my, like, forget whatever, like my body, my boogie board or whatever there, and they were like, no, (laughs) you're not going to be in the lineup with us for that, and then they brought me to a surf shop, and said, you got to buy, you got to buy a surfboard, because this isn't going to happen, and so I was like, all right, sure, and so I bought like, I remember it was an 8.0 um it wasn't a long board or you know or a, a soft top or anything like that it was like an eight o kind of like hybrid board um It was a plastic fantastic <laughs> really yeah, and I bought it at um the Rockaway surf shop at that time and uh yeah, I mean, I just took it right out and um just started going for it you know it's impressive
0: i i mean the learning curve is so vast, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been doing it since I was a kid, and i'm still a novice really i mean in low intermediate basically um and i don't think i would have the perseverance to get to this point if i started now i learned when i was a kid and i just don't remember going through the learning curve and thankfully because it takes so much dedication especially and especially when you have real life obligations you know relationships to maintain work to do like i struggle with that today even making time for surfing so it's impressive to think that you. I went start... all
1: I went all in and sacrificed everything. Did you
0: really <laughs> yeah, practically?
1: Yeah. So that's like my. I think I think it took a toll on relationships. It took a toll on my art. It took a toll on everything. But at the same time, it kind of gave back to all of those things too in time. But it, you know, because um, um, you know the person I was with at the time was from California, and it was like, that surfing was normal, you know, and 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 um, and it was also. It connected me with friends who are artists that are longtime surfers, and they were really happy that they that you know that I was getting into it. And yeah, I mean, I just fully committed, and you know, and I, I mean, I think that that's one part of my personality, and so the dedication part. Um, you know, I've been an athlete, you know, growing up with a, you know this racing of sailboats was like a really serious. I was doing that on a serious level and did it in, in collegiate sailing as well. And then, um, and you, you know, dedication and attention to details and stuff like that is the only way you can succeed in that. And then I also had played, you know, uh, ice hockey before that. So, um, you know, at, like the high school, uh, like, um, you know, uh, level, you know, schoolboy, high school, like state level. And um, we, the, you know, that just required a, a lot of effort, a lot of time put in over my, you know, young life at that time.
0: Those things obviously have parallels in terms of you need athleticism, dedication, Mm. all that hard work, but are they different? I mean, is surfing different? I want to think it seems to be that surfing is different for you to kind of ignore all of your life's obligations and get sucked into this thing at age 38. I hate to sound like cliche as if surfing is some spiritual thing, Mm -hmm. but what was it about surfing? and What was it for you at 38 that inspired Um, you to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, I think there, it, you know, it does encompass um, all aspects of, of life. I mean, the, for me, um, it was like that. It requires physical fitness and discipline, um, was something that I really appreciated to to have back in my in my life, and so um, that was a good part. But I think also learning how to like read waves and um, And you know, doing different maneuvers, and you know, um, learning how to be in the lineup, how to be with other people, you know, all of the nuances of all that. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, my um, upbringing with um, team sports and the stuff that can go on between people, you know, um, good and bad, uh, can um, help me out in some of the uh, less um, friendly lineups that one can find out on Long Island, um, New Jersey around here. And I mean, people think of, you know, um, localism and all that out in um, California or LA, I don't know, whatever else, but it's like, you know, come to come here and get in the wrong, get at the, in the, at the wrong spot at the wrong time. And it can be just as yeah. difficult. And so me, being able to manage, um, you know, these types of interactions and, and also having the respect really for people out there and for people's where they're, you know, grew up and the whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. just having basic understandings, um, I think, is, you know, important. And so for me, yeah, um, my background um, lent into it, and I felt like, yeah, I mean, the the spiritual side of it or whatever, I think that that's, it just gives you that, you know what I mean? You can, one can talk about it, but it's something you actually feel, you know, it's, it's something that um, you uh, get in there. And that can be, uh, you know, there's upsides and downsides to that, in the sense, like, as much as you can feel great about it, it can really... Um, you know punish you pretty heavily depending on like your how honest you are with what you want to do with surfing and how far you want to go with it I mean there's always like I mean I always kind of say like there's the ocean is the ultimate editor it'll, it'll edit out um, uh, you know it'll it'll show you what is possible and, and what you need to work on pretty quick
0: yeah um, there's a lot of things to kind of tease apart in that. I think the social, like the social structure of it is important. Like Mm -hmm. it's worth a sociological study of just because it it is a microcosm for the way that societies develop everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's a hunter gatherer kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. the, um, the strongest kind of survive, but Mm -hmm. there's also a humbling to it. You're always at the mercy of mother nature, like you said, the ultimate editor. Mm -hmm. So Tyler and I were having this conversation yesterday, which is, you might not be the strongest smartest uh, most uh successful person mm. but in the water if you're the one in position for the set wave and you rip the wave in front of everybody mm-hmm. you're the king and mm-hmm. that translates to land you see that guy getting a slice of pizza later and he might be like i said small and unsuccessful and not strong and not mm. an alpha male yeah but it's like wow that guy i bow down to that guy you know And, um, but ultimately what it does is it humbles everybody and then you all have mutual respect for one another, which is actually a really nice thing. There's Uh, an order to
1: it. Yeah. I've met a lot of really interesting people over the years, um, you know, from Montauk to Rockaway, you know, um, from all different walks of life, you know, surfers, um, you know, of all different skill sets, but, um, yeah, there's always an interesting story. I mean, and, and, you know, especially if you frequent, um, a break, you know, just, out of uh, convenience for the day-to-day stuff, um, then you definitely get to know yeah. a group of people. I'm starting to get to know um, some people out in uh, Rockaway again after years of not. And then, you know, I still have, you know, friendships with people out in uh, Montauk and and then certainly on on uh, long, the whole Long Beach um, crew as well. But, um, yeah, and then also out in LA, you know, because I've, mm-hmm. I've done a lot of surfing out in LA. Because that, again, I mean, that was really a part of my early surfing because I literally... After I got up on my board for the first time in October of uh, 2000, you know, I made a trip out to LA and then just got my ass handed to me, uh, you know, in El Porto, like, just could not believe uh, the, like, the power of what it like, a friend of mine took me out and I was not ready for this, and I was on, like, some funky, like, 6'6", like, single fin pintail, you know, it was, like, insane, I was just getting... I just got beaten to to death out there. <laughs> so like head high. Barrels? Yeah, it was like solid uh, head high, yeah. but it's just punchy and like yeah. uh, nothing like I had experienced. And it just um, you know, and then just going from one place to another, just getting pounded. You know.
0: Have you surfed Hawaii since the Big Island?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Because that's a whole
0: different experience too.
1: I did. I mean, uh, I th- it's actually I think it's in Stab Magazine. Uh, Danny Fuller wrote a um, a text on surfing pipe um like what to do your first time and he used me as an example <laughs> no way <laughs> because uh i gotta um, look that up and uh, uh i i think i because i think i saw it online and at any rate um so it's something to read and it definitely documents my experience uh, which you know was i mean i i literally hadn't been in the water for a little while and i had come from directly from london you know um to new york got on a plane and then flew out to hawaii and um I was uh, met at the airport by Danny and uh, Makua Rothman, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. Even like in the airport, I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, uh, this is you know. And then we had um, a really great dinner on the halfway between uh, uh, town and and country. And then uh, the next day, I mean, that night um, when I was at the at the house um, that we were staying at. uh, you could feel the the surf um, reverberate through the house. It was like it was absolutely firing, you know. And, um, and, and you know, you wake up early in the mo- the next morning, and um, they took me um, to the Waimea Shorebreak uh, to warm up, you know, and. Uh, I literally was pounded to within an inch of my life uh, at at that shore break. Were uh, they
0: just messing with you? Oh, I went like with Danny and, and and
1: his and his uh, his friend who is a photographer. Actually, he was filming. Too. I think there is a film of me just getting pounded to to death. Um, and uh, but it was you know I mean for them I mean uh, you know with all respect you know I'd met Danny through the art world like a friend of mine in the art world and you know I knew of his, I knew of his. Um, Background and his uh, reputation, obviously, as a world-class uh, big wave surfer and, uh, and a pipe specialist as well, and um, and you know a you know a person of uh, you know absolute world-class uh, talent, and so um, you know this was their natural environment, <laughs> you know, and I was a visitor, you know, and with no with I mean this was like several uh, you know several many layers above my pay grade. And so, uh, once I got through that, and we returned from um, Waimea, um, and we're back on, um, on, you know, uh, near pipe and and off the wall, which is where the house was, we were staying at, was right in front of, off the wall. Um, It was just, it was very intimidating, obviously. It was, um, you know, in the the early part of the morning, they were calling it six to eight feet. I think um, Danny said it was... um, maybe four to six or something like that Um, which is probably accurate for the um, for how they would read it that day when I when I paddled out Um, and I paddled and I guess the one of the crux of the article uh, was it was this paddle out that I did with him and um, you know it's like paddling out there for your first time is, is super intimidating especially if there's any kind of wave there at all and you know the lineup and everything else and but there's like this little notch like you start at this rock and there's this little notch that you have to make it through or else you get swept down into an area that is, is really really bad like it's you know like not a good thing and so Danny like basically gave me the instructions of like you need to make it out past this point and you can't f- fail at doing that you know, or else you're, you're in in bad shape. And so I followed him out. I mean, he was out there in a flash and it was just, I mean, (laughs) my paddling left a lot to be desired, um, you know, for the shape that I was in and all that. And so I literally, um, you know, he looked around and saw that I was kind of like not on pace to make it, and he turned around and he gave me a very, like and no uncertain language with no uncertain seriousness um, that I had to get out there like absolutely and you know not fail to get out there, and I literally just made it over and like made it out to the lineup, and I was totally gassed, you know, and I was like holy shit, and then you know then you've got you know set waves coming in. And um, But, I mean, he had introduced me to, um, you know, key friends of his that are out there, and um, I sat wide, you know, and um, watched, and like, where, like, there were, um, you know, people on bodyboards, and people were um, even uh, body surfing from that point. It's like there's, like, there is this part that you can sit wide on, waves will come through there, but they're not the main you know, peak waves, and, you know, at that time, I actually didn't any, want any part of uh, that whole thing. And um, it was, but what was really fascinating, and this is only, you can only see from the water when you're there, is this, is the sound and the, um, and uh, literally the fact that these guys are absolute demigods, you know, that it, it's like goes beyond imagination, the level of talent and uh, and, um, and skill level out there. It was mind-blowing you know it was you know just to watch them do what they're uh do uh you know they're they're professionals but it's even on a level beyond that that's i think where it gets to the point where we can return to that idea of spirituality or whatever but because you know they are doing things that are um that are like only like 0001 you know like 0.0001 percent of people in the world can possibly do and because that wave is so lethal like and the other thing that people don't realize is how shallow it is there. Like you're literally sitting on your board and your feet are touching the tops of these anvils you know, of, uh, of petrified coral. And it's, um, yeah, so when you look over the ledge, if you're paddling for a wave, I mean, you better look down the wave because if you look down underneath you, it's a, it's a horrifying sight. So, um, you know, long story short, I was out there. Um, Danny like helped me get into a wave, then um, he had to return to work you know and uh and it was amazing to watch those guys serve um, and then I uh, ended up just like <laughs> I was like a buoy out there, you know like just surviving and uh it took me forever the, the i mean to be completely honest, it was so humbling the whole thing uh getting in was probably one of the more difficult uh uh you know deals because it 's like you know it's, you know, if you miss it, you know, that river that's going along the the parallel to shore there will take you to places you don't ever want to be. And there's also rips and everything else that's going on, you know, awareness and all that. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role.
0: And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Go to com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. It was humbling. So you did get a wave. You said Danny got you into a wave? Not
1: like a, a barreling pipe wave, but one of the um, waves that swung wide yeah. and I got like... Um, was able to you know get the feel of it and uh yeah it was it was nothing to really speak of but it was um you know and the rest of the time was just like um you know moving and like not trying trying not to get cleaned up and and the whole thing i mean the surf i mean you know and and he mentioned in the article it's like the the one takeaway is patience you know and and respect and you know for me i'm not going to go out there i have i didn't have uh you know, I, I was in the right spot for for where I needed to be. Um, I was I got an amazing view of uh, the guys yeah. at work and um, and doing what they do best. And I mean, I saw somebody like like do this um, backside inverted like um, like out at, like the top not like go up into the notch of the wave and like do fins out like you know. Uh, crack off the top when the wave was literally—I was mind blowing. You know, I'm it, free falling into the—you uh, know—into the,
0: yeah. the face. Even though we see photos and videos of that stuff, mm-hmm. it does not at all translate what it looks like in real life. No, the difficulty and the um, like, how vertical they get, and how critical the section is, mm-hmm. how fast they're going—all that stuff. Unless you witness it from the shoulder, paddling out is lost on film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't
1: have any um, desire to repeat that experience really? <laughs> at all. And That's and for funny. me, what's great about um, pipe is that you know, as a spectator, it, you know, you can see it all. It's right in front of you. It's amazing how yeah. much you can see from the beach right there. And the same with off the wall. I mean, I found off the wall to be really impressive also because it's a, it's basically a closeout. Yeah. And these guys, um, and it was huge when I when I saw it. Um, early that day and uh, I saw some spectacular rides, but I also saw some very heavy wipeouts, yeah. which these guys, you know, survived or whatever, but, uh, you know, but they're pros and that's, how, and that's what they do. And, and, and it is an area where, like, you just, I think people get lured into the idea that it's somehow um, makeable or whatever, but, um, you know, they, you know, Danny's crew and the, and the, and the whole younger crew coming up... Um, You know they do regulate the uh, wave um as needed and it's and it is needed because it is such a um a um you know lethal uh wave out there completely yeah
0: um what was your first introduction to danny in new york like i mean because i i was a Followed Danny when he was young, mm-hmm. saw him in the magazines. And when the art thing happened, it was fascinating to me, but I only viewed it kind of through the surf world and right. whatever the magazines were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first exposure to his work? And-
1: well, I, I met Danny through a friend of mine, uh, Valentine Hofsky, um, who uh, works. He, you know, is a, I guess he, I would say that he's like, um, you know, he had this very um, famous uh, fashion blog, you know, uh, early on um, with his uh, partner Olga, and um, which was very controversial and interesting. And then he got into um, social media, uh, particularly with um, Tumblr, um, and he—that's um, where he is uh, now on, on, on very early days. So he's um, quite influ- has a big influence over that. And so um, I there was a, I curated a. Um, a uh, an exhibition uh, with uh, David Saleh, um and the the artists. and we held a, a dinner um, over in the West Village um, for the for the opening. And um, Valentine had thrown the party, or he had done the party in in, in celebration of that of event, and um, and and had invited Danny, and then. Um so but I didn't know who everyone was on the list or whatever, but when I got to the dinner, you know, I, I recognized him right away and so I went up and introduced myself and uh, we became friends at that point and uh, you know um, and so when he would come to town for his you know for business and all that, um, you know we would go out surfing locally um, with, with other friends of his and then um, you know, slowly I started to get a chance to see the development of this uh, of this work, and then he told me the whole story behind the, these night photographs and these long exposure pieces. And um, I even wrote a text um, or co-wrote a text uh, for one of his exhibitions that way. So I was a big fan of the of the work from from early on, and um, you know even before, um, yeah, before it just kind of um, blew up into the art world. I mean, I got the, you know I was fortunate to get a chance to see the work develop, and you know see it in the studio, see it. Um, you know uh, get out into the magazines and things like that it was pretty it was really cool
0: how does the art world view his work he seems to be popular
1: yeah I mean you know I think that um, there's like photography you know is a special segment of the world but I, um, art world and um, I think that he occupies a really interesting position with it I mean conceptually but um, and then also visually I mean these uh, I you know the story of his photographs, for those of you who don't know, is like they they appear to relate to um, abstract images in the sense that they're like um, these uh, um, gradient bands of of color um, in these rectangular formats, um, and and the but in there like these beautiful like uh, colors that happen during these ultra long um, exposures that he. Uh, um, does at night and often in these um, uh, in Hawaii so it and and so the color and the um, the imagery in them and sometimes you you can recognize them as being um, you know landscape images mm-hmm. because they're you know very rarely but sometimes they'll be like lava or something like that in in them but oftentimes that they're like purely abstract and so I I think that in a lot of ways, you know, he uniquely was able to um, capture that sense of that relationship to the ocean in, a, in an abstract way that has a lot to do with feeling. And he did that with color, but also just in this incredible sense of detail in terms of how these photographs get made and his <clears throat> his um, interest in, in making uh, really these kind of uh, purely abstract, um, like almost, um, they're, they're very, very sensitive, which is unusual from like this kawaii boy guy who's, uh, you know, a proficient at jiu-jitsu and all that. But it does, I mean, it really does um, look at, um, you know, uh, this idea of um, of how we see and, and feel um, and on this earth and they're they are utterly beautiful um works and they're and it's amazing the variety of um of uh experiences that he's created within a strict um format you know and they're and it does relate to like sugimoto or earlier um uh, photographers but i mean he his work in in terms of format they're large and, and and they're like color drenched and they um you know, you uh, experience them in a in a different way. You know, right. and I, I think, um, you know, there it's highly disciplined, in the way that he's able to control um, what is uncontrollable and make them into beautiful artworks. Um, I think, um, you know, it's it's really as talented as surfer is. I think it's he also has brought that into his passion for photography and, and art.
0: One thing I'd love to hear you comment on is. Um... Who becomes successful in the art world is mm. just an interesting nonsensical equation to me. Like I would imagine if, let's say, um, Adele, the singer, mm. was a coffee shop singer in Seattle, mm. somebody would walk through, snap their fingers, and just go, "She's a celebrity." Like she, her voice is so amazing, you can't contain it, and she would just find her way to stardom because yeah. her talent is just undeniable you know mm-hmm. and i feel like i could see a version of danny without the right i don't know um people along the way and connections made mm-hmm. i could see a version of danny selling those images at the local uh farmer's market mm-hmm. across the street from pipeline at sunset elementary you <laughs> okay. know? Yeah. because there are artisans there i was there a month ago and there was mm-hmm. a guy doing this resin work that was unbelievable mm-hmm. and i'm like okay this is great. Cool. so i'm curious it's been interesting to watch his trajectory to mm-hmm. kind of skyrocket in a relatively short period of time, or at least be embraced by mm-hmm. the right people along the way to help nurture his craft yeah. to make sure that it's actually quote fine art as opposed to just um, yeah. artisan. Mm-hmm. So, what is that equation? How much of it is attributed to luck? How much is it, I mean? And then there's people who are deemed fine artists who I think make crap. You know, right. and probably a lot of people think they're crap. Well,
1: the whole thing about... I, I had an interesting conversation with someone recently um, who said, you know, you know, I'm interested in becoming an artist and this is what I want to do. And I just said, well, as soon as you say I'm an artist, uh, you are an artist, you know. Um, now, whether you make art or not is a different question. But the, 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 by simply saying I am an artist... Um, that's that's who you are. There is no quality. There is absolutely no qualifications required to to say that, and it's true because you've said it, no matter what, okay. right? Um, so, um, you know, and in some ways, art can be like perpetrating a fraud. Now, if you say I'm a molecular biologist, right, and then someone says you are, like, how you can't just say that. Or you, know, you say that I'm a, um, a neurosurgeon, like you just can't say that but with art you can and you can just and you can do nothing and still be an artist like he, I mean and Duchamp proved that you know in his uh, the years of you know, of, um, of playing chess and so art has a like an ill-defined like it has a very different um, um, way of um, of of, defini- of defining what that practice could be because it could be anything and then more likely or not if it's you know Interesting new art. We won't know what that is even when we're looking at it, because often art is um, unknowable when it first um, comes into um, into existence. That way, so getting that out of the way, <laughs> with Danny, um, you know, you know, he, his, um, I think in in sur- his accomplishments in in surfing and um, you know are are he's on uh, a talent on you know on a on the highest possible level you know and has surfed the most consequential waves all around the planet and and he's well known for for doing that so there's already an infrastructure for his um for for him in in the world in the sense that the that the surfing world you know has that kind of respect for him and it's not something and again that's not something you can just say like you can't you can say that you're a surfer like you're like I bought a surfboard and I'm a surfer well you know nine times out of ten you're not going to be really like people will look at you and say well probably not you know but you know when you're surfing chopu and the, I mean the evidence is out there for everyone to go and, and check out online and all the all the videos and like that or cloud break or, or you know are and, and then all of the time spent at Pipe, and then the uh, the unmentioned waves, uh, you know, in Kauai and um, and everywhere else in the world, um, it's you know it is beyond imagination. What they're doing, what he is capable of doing, is not something that you know. It's not something you can you can look at it, but you can't really get close to it. You know what I mean? So there is a a kind of fantastical element to that. I think that artists. Um, are drawn to that um, to that level of proficiency and that level of expertise and that level of performance. It's at least I, you know, for me, I was you know I've, I like from afar. You know, I thought I was like completely blown away. But but his you know his character, his um, humility when speaking about it, and his um, his humility in terms of his approach to his art and in this and in this similar. Like totally hardcore dedication to making his art and to thinking through the details of exactly how it should be made and how it should be framed and, and doing and getting and literally being curious and asking the questions like from professional artists like, okay, so what type of framing does this do what, what kind of paper is this? What are the right materials, how to do it you know it's his preparation for you know taking on you know Chopu is like his preparation for taking on doing a series of prints in a lot of ways is the same way because you can't just um you know like step up and do it I mean there's a lot a lot of hard unseen work that happens in the background um that gets it to the point where things look just so so that would be the the definition of why his work is like so far beyond what you would see across the street on the on the Lee, you know drive or whatever um you know is is that similar to his um, dedication and preparation to his surfing he takes the same approach to um to his art and then yet it allows him to have that vast um, uh, uh, um, potential for expression that that you know, doesn't happen in surfing. You know what I mean? That won't happen in that way. And, and you know, but you know, when I look at his work on the on the on the walls, you know, and and in the studio, and, and you know, I, I see that same. I feel that same level. I mean, because I think that's the great thing about art is that it actually allows you to feel it. And like, and the way he pre, uh, presents those images, um, is definitely a um, you know, absorbs that type of feeling and that intensity that he brings to it.
0: Excellent explanation. Um, you said that just saying that you're an artist is enough to be an artist, mm-hmm. but you, for the record, have a master's in fine art from Yale. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good qualification. Mm-hmm. I know you worked with Andy Warhol. Can you give me the introduction into your career and kind of use that as a starting point, and how did that happen?
1: Well, when I left um, grad school, one of my first jobs in New York um, was... I didn't have any um, plan for, like, a career... Um, other than to make art. But then the reality of living in New York City like hit immediately and I was like, I gotta get a job. And so I just took on uh, working for a contractor um, to take on whatever job I could get money for. And I actually had no experience doing yeah, any gonna... type of carpentry or anything like that, but friends of mine did. And so they um, said, oh, well, you, you know, you'll know, you have to learn on the job. <laughs> and so I ended up getting a, a job uh, with a contractor who had, had um, and his clients include, uh, included, um, uh, Warhol and, and, others. And so I ended up working at Andy's studio, um, in the basement, um, which was a storage area for interview magazine, which was at that time, um, in the, um, the kind of substation, his final studio, um, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I was working at a studio. I actually never saw Andy in person, um, alive, you know, um, and uh, although I, I knew the whole staff that was working there and I saw the works uh, getting made um, but um, yeah it was a very odd thing that I never saw him alive there but it was yeah so that was my introduction into, into, the, uh, into the art world and you know from there I had a studio in the Lower East Side on, uh, with friends of mine from, um, from, from Yale and and yeah, we just were a little pack of artists that were just kind of like, kinda like um, struggling along and surviving at that point in the in the mid '80s. Yeah, it was fun. Did
0: I mean? Did you take that job knowing that his client list was who it was? What do you mean? Did you take the construction job knowing that his um, client no, list? No, it was, was
1: it was actually just it, it was a pure um, just happenstance, uh, pure luck. Um, I would my imagine friend, my friend, uh, the artist Sean Landers, uh, managed to get me onto the onto the crew and I was I mean it was like an, it was very lucky yeah, you know that's crazy. Um, and um and he was working you know these like all, at all these different stars um you know apartments you uh, know around the city and we would just get moved from one job site uh, to another and uh, it was it was really it was really interesting i mean it was it was a crazy time at the, yeah. <laughs> for sure it's fascinating yeah.
0: so that theme of celebrity has seemed to kind of continue in your work through a lot of the stuff that I've seen in the modern
1: it did I mean what was interesting about that um, was that it really didn't come into play until like I would say um, a show I did with Friedrich Petzel gallery in 1998 um, when I, I I did make a painting of one of these interview magazine covers that I had remembered from working at Andy's studio and it was a it was a, a painting that I titled "Portrait of God," since we're on the issue of demigods and and, and serpents and all that, but it was a, it was a yeah it was a portrait of Rob Lowe, um, and uh, and it was from uh, one of Richard Bernstein's Interview magazine um, covers from I think 1983. You know, it was, I think it was like the Hotel New Hampshire time, you know, with Jody Foster. Uh, so they were doing their interview of each other. It's hilarious to read these interviews because back then interview, it was just literally they were just like, hey, so what are you doing today? Oh, well, I don't know. You know, and, I mean, that's how Jody and, and Rob were talking and um, or like, what was it like? I'm working on the set together. You know, I mean, yeah. So by the time I got to it, um it was like with the way that I was looking at a celebrity, and specifically in that show, because there was a, I did a painting of Michael Jackson, but through it was through um, it was a portrait of of um, Jeff Koons' sculpture, you know, you know, Michael and Bubbles, you know, and, uh, and and in this case with Rob and and Andy, it was like a portrait of Warhol through Richard Bernstein. Um, so it was looking at celebrity through this kind of. Um, Aperture of illustration or sculpture or these other types of mediums and what about what bound these individuals together was their, at that time their failure to square their private desire in their lives usually sexual desire with their public very public lives and so at that point I think. Um, you know, Rob had had his uh, very public um, dressing down because of a relationship that got caught on tape, you know, with an underage uh, girl at the time. And then, you know, Michael had his own whole host of problems of, you know, with uh, um, young people as well. So that was really in the tabloids and the paper. And so it was a look at um, this kind of infamy that uh, more than, than fame and putting that in relationship to other um Kinds of um, you know, you know, social misanthropy <laughs> in, a, in a way, and so that was an odd way to look at pop culture, you know, at the time, and, you know, and, and and so it wasn't about celebrating pop culture; it was looking at it in a, in a different way through other mediums, you know, like not the paintings weren't specifically paintings of, like of the people, but it was how other people had seen those people, and so it was a it was kind of a, a different approach. I mean, later. Um, when I did uh, the Most Wanted paintings in, in London at YQ with all of the young actors. That um, show was really looking at how celebrity is, in some way, we were talking about like making a claim about being art, but what is art's claim at, at, at that period of time? I think this was 2010. It was like, what do you need to um, make and art, like, what does art need to be validated? Well, you need a luxury sponsor and you need a celebrity endorsement. And so all the paintings had a celebrity and the luxury good that they were paired with. And it just went marching down the wall on either side of the gallery. And at the end, there was a step and repeat uh, that was on the entire wall so that anyone going to the gallery could create the same image of themselves uh, that they would see in the paintings um, of Robert Pattinson, Kristen Stewart, or whoever else. Interesting. Some of the
0: articles that I've read in preparation for today seem to imply that, like, you get grief from the art world for working with celebrities and doing endorsement deals or whatever.
1: Is that is that true? I mean, it's so interesting. I heard about this term today called art washing, and I hadn't heard that before. But it's it's literally what um, uh, you know like people like the way that companies like um oil companies or whatever will like sponsor the Tate museum or, or, or this or that um God. in order to like take their um you know to soften their image as a global pollutant you know um and to like you know do cultural great cultural work it's you know it's instead of like uh, laundering money it's like art washing mm-hmm. uh money and um you know this is of course was um, from this kind of uh Um, Marxist take against creativity like it's like creative cities like everyone's like you know become enslaved to this idea of being creative and somehow that this is a good thing well it's not always (laughs) it's not always a good thing so I've definitely taken criticism for um, the work that I've done uh, with people that have you know a great deal of uh, focus in terms of what they've done in their career celebrity or whatever um especially when I worked with Lindsay Lohan um and uh and made the films with her with Taylor Steele I might add and we'll probably get to that but um you know so um yeah I think it it really you know at that point in time I think the criticism was because there was this um separation between what funds art and, and what art is seen, like how it's seen to be um, free from those concerns. Like it's great for celebrities to show up in an art show and pose in front of a step and repeat to benefit uh, a cultural institution. But when I made a show in 2009 titled New Museum and then had those types of imagery, um, of like people being in front of Stephen and repeats but putting nudes in front of them instead of like celebrities and, and really screwing around with the the order of events and the order of uh, sponsorship and the order of, of people like literally um, being compelled to um, subordinate themselves to a certain type of advertising for the sake of culture, for the sake of um, you know, using their celebrity to um, somehow prop up uh, this kind of art that um, has nothing really to do with either. So, yeah, I think that there is, I mean, I, I embrace the criticism and I think that um, it, if it gets a dialogue started, and, and at that time, it, it was really because things were still kind of segregated. Now it's just all awash with, right. and, you know, and with art washing, <laughs> you know, and everything else. But it's, it's um, you know, I, I think that um, it's, it's kind of, um, this uh flatness like everything is flattened and it's a kind of i guess it's like a a real the real thing to be um combating is the kind of um, sameness that everything is being organized you know like sameness through creativity you know sameness for self-marketing sameness for being a productive member of society i don't agree with any of that i mean i literally grew up in the og like uh, punk and post-punk era and so those um you know, ideals and, and that that type of philosophy is something that's ingrained in me. Like, I hasn't hasn't stopped.
0: You mentioned the Lindsay Lohan Taylor Steele thing. I know traditionally you work in paint. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your first film? It was. Project? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What inspired you, or why did you get involved? in It was films? all serendipity, really. Was it? Um,
1: and you know, literally, um, I received uh, a phone call from. Um, Uh, A friend saying that he has a um, you know a uh, an opportunity to make a film Um, and uh, and do do I want to be involved in this film series that was happening during the Venice Biennale I think this was like in 2010 or something like that and um, and at the time um, you know I had Made a. This was the time I had made these um, most wanted paintings and shown them in, in London. And I had asked, was asked um, during um, to make another painting outside of that group for a benefit in Dallas, Texas, called Two by Two, um, which is uh, which benefits um, AMFAR um, and AIDS research and also the Dallas uh, Museum of Fine Arts. And so at the time, because I had all these like productive members of the uh, you know, celebrity community in that show being made. Um, I I happened to look at like uh, the tabloids or something like that um, and I saw this image of Lindsay Lohan like in in court uh, um, with her head flung back because she had just been um, found guilty of um, uh, felonious um, uh, larceny or something like that or whatever for stealing the necklaces at the jewelry store. And so that image to me looked like an Envard Munch painting. I thought it was incredible, you know, and and so I said, "Well, this is the perfect antidote to all this positivistic um, imagery that I've been making." So I set right to work at making this uh, painting and sent it down to Dallas and, and, and it, it ended up helping out in the, uh, for the uh, fundraiser there. And a friend of mine who was um, uh, working at um, a magazine um, saw the painting and made it a screensaver on his phone. Um, and he worked in fashion. Um, And uh, he was out in LA on a shoot with Lindsay with this image on his phone (laughs) his name is Dominic Sidhu and he would end up being the creative director for all of our films and he um, showed it to Lindsay and Lindsay saw it and from what I understand was like oh my god (laughs) like who made this and then uh, he you know told her and she reached out to me and said hey what's up and I was like well you know we should do something together and she's like yeah and so being asked to make a film you know, around the same time, I was like, well, maybe I have an actor. <laughs> you know? and, um, but I didn't know how to make films at all. Like, I hadn't even made a film on my iPhone. Like, I hadn't even tried. Um, however, our good friend Tyler um, had invited me to be a judge for the New York Surf Film Festival. So I, was like a, I served on the panel, um, and I, I think I had done a couple of... Um, sequences by that point and it just so happened at that time tyler had um organized it so that um, momentum and we say this on the on the uh, right ahead of the big um documentary coming out on hbo (laughs) um, uh, on the 10th i guess um the original movie had never been screened before like uh, i don't think um Taylor had ever seen it in the movie theater before, and so I went to the pre-party and met Taylor for the first time with our with our um, mutual friend Todd DeCerchio, and we all went down to Tribeca, and I sat next to Taylor, and we watched um, this film for the first time in, in a theater together, and I and he was like giving me the the blow-by-blow blow of this this you know incredibly influential uh, film um, as we are as we were sitting there. I was utterly blown away you know by the whole thing and um, so in the back of my mind I was thinking like well I met a filmmaker now I have a star maybe and I I texted or I called uh, Taylor and I said would you be interested in making a film together I I think I have someone who can act for for this and um, and he said sure what's going on and so I explained it to him it was Lindsay and and all that I said it would happen have to happen right away because she you know is facing you know a prison term and all this and that we probably would need to get it done before sentencing you know and and we had like looked at the dates and I think we had like about 10 days to get to get everyone together in the same spot so his team you know including um Todd Heater um who uh, was our um you know director he was the um the DP for the film, and um, and the other uh, DP was Al- Alejandro Berger, and these are two collaborators of um, Taylor's and filmmakers that he's been collaborating with for years. All the, the the films that we know of, I mean, they were pretty much on, I think, most every one of them before. So the A-team was um, assemblable, you know, like from coming in, other uh, members of their crew um, uh, would come in from were either in LA or, or nearby in Hawaii, or could come up um, for it. So we all basically convened. Parallel to all this, a, a friend of mine, um, you know, uh, Ryan uh, had, um, who has this label called Deus, um, and who had put out um, industrial music with Sasha Grey, had recommended that I work with Sasha Grey. And so, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, so that would be incredible. And so he had set up a meeting. F- Um, with me and her and at the time again we were just thinking about making taking photographs to make paintings and I just said well we could make a film too and so we organized to have her and Lindsay be out in LA um, um, at the same time well they were they were there and we all had to get out there and we ended up doing um, back-to-back shoots with both of them and that's how we kind of um, got started and um, from that um, paintings were made, and then a subsequent film with Lindsay was made, which was the um, called First Point, and that was the uh, surf noir film that you know Alejandro and Todd and Taylor, uh, you know, all all worked on. But I mean, really, Taylor, um, you know, it was, it was through his expertise, his his whole um, team, um, you know, wouldn't have been possible yeah. without him. And uh, and so the imagery were. Developed out of um, a shot list that he and I created in the hotel room the night before the shoot, um, looking at Godard and you know and Bergman, um, and uh, and we had taken some I had taken these screen grabs and we kind of discussed what we could possibly do and that's how the imagery developed with it too.
0: Was it shot in Malibu?
1: I was um, shot in Malibu, and then, then the um, up in uh, Hollywood Hills. Got um, it. So it was uh, Sasha's part is the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, but um, ironically, um, the place, the location that we managed to get to shoot Lindsay was a uh, a set location for Entourage, where um, Sasha's character had been with Vince. You know, like Funny. when he was like on some you know, when they were together and like it literally they had shot scenes at that um, particular location because it has this uh, infinity pool and all that. So yeah. it was pretty it was pretty crazy.
0: And Cassia Mador was the surf double for Lindsay. She,
1: yes, on the second film. And that uh, happened like about a year and a half later because okay. we, um, you know, it ended up. Um, we ended up um, going back to Malibu and uh, literally uh, a friend of mine. Um, uh, I think, uh, well, my friend Meredith Darrow, who's uh, this uh, brilliant um, art consultant, <laughs> um, she uh, um, and very influential. Uh, she was on the is dear friends with um, Cassia, and so they were at the beach. And uh, when Meredith. Um, realized that I was out in LA and she texted me and saying hey what are you doing out in LA I said well I'm making a film with Lindsay Lula and up the beach in Malibu and she said oh I'm here with Cassia uh, I said wow do you think Cassia would want to surf um, and this was like literally I think the day before the shoot or something wow. like that I said do you think she'd want to come up and, um, and surf with us I mean the waves were going, were going okay at that, that time and she said sure absolutely we'll do it and so um, that's, it was literally pure serendipity and yeah. then, like then she showed up and did those amazing um, scenes that um, Todd was able to uh, capture uh, from the beach and then likewise Alejandro from the water was amazing. I mean you really do see inc- like the you know, incredible genius. But I would have to say one of the things I was so impressed by was the, um, you know, was the um the discipline and the work ethic that the whole crew had about and how because we had crazy stuff to deal with with paparazzi and and everything else i mean it was was there's like a whole other we'd have to do a whole other podcast of all the craziness that we had to deal with it wasn't it was literally not Lindsay. it was everybody it was really everybody else you know Uh, it was like dawn of the dead it was crazy when we actually surfed malibu um which Lindsay insisted on we were we did it at a we had shot the day before at a private beach a very famous one with this kind of um, special wave that they have there and then she. and when we wrapped I thought we were done and she said well let's shoot at Malibu tomorrow and I was like is everyone can everyone do it and everyone could do it of course because and and so we went um, you know unannounced or anything like that and showed up at the beach and um, and and You know, we were able to surf there and and film there because the guys filmed with a really long lens from the parking lot so that they wouldn't be seen on the beach. And then, in Alejandro, uh, um, there's a prob—you can't film there. I mean, that's there; it's against the the rules of the the beach. So, Alejandro was able to get a camera out onto a surfboard and was able to take some shots in in the water. Uh, But we didn't—you know, yeah—some like get some shots in the water from there. But um, yeah, I mean, it didn't take long until we were sitting on the beach, like during a break. And um, these guys were who were, looked like surfers were like taking shots of Lindsay. And then one of Lindsay's friends or her personal assistant or whatever uh, became indignant and went over to that, those photographers and said, listen, you know, what are you doing? We're just trying to have a day at the beach. And, the, and then the guys were like, hey, man, like you shouldn't worry about us, you know, you should worry about them, and then they turned around and pointed, and it literally, it looked like Dawn of the Dead, there were all these photographers, like, coming up over the, you know, into the, from the parking lot, coming down the beach, and soon it was, like, a wall of people, and, um, and so, you know, Lindsay went out into the water, and, like, paddled way out, Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, and getting her back in was difficult, like, there, I think there's shots of me, like, trying to, like, part the the wall of photographers um to get her onto the shore and then we had to literally like something out of like the Beatles, you know like run down the beach to this hotel that we had all of our stuff staged at and then and then it became a you know one of these meltdown situations from there um
0: i know she spent time on the north shore during the winter time a couple Mm -hmm. of times does she surf? Is she into surfing? Is she um, just have friends? I think after
1: the, I think after that, yeah. Okay. I mean, up until that point, I think she had maybe gone out and surfed a little bit. I, her and, and Cassia um, were fast friends; like they they got on really well. And so, and Cassia was so great with her, and you know, um, but I mean, she did all of the surfing. I mean, Cassia did right. all of the surfing clearly, right. um, but you know um they you know she she's definitely she was game for it i mean she yeah. tried she definitely tried and um you know i I've, since then and this is obviously so many years ago I'm, I'm i'm sure she's kept it up you know
0: um you mentioned that first film wasn't possible without taylor and his crew did you well, both at- all of them there's no them. films
1: without without that well
0: did you at least develop um a- an interest or a passion for filmmaking? Do you have any definitely. interest in moving yeah, forward with it? Yeah,
1: definitely. Really? Yeah, I mean the one thing I would say is, and I, you know, my experience of working with every we had so many interesting experiences doing it. Yeah. Um, and like the collaborations, like working with Lotus and you know the, the car company and all that, like um, shooting when we shot up in the hills and everything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely would do it again. I mean, I think that, and um, I'm feeling more inclined to of, of the present moment for sure you know uh,
0: would you have any interest in working with in just shorts or feature film or what would your ambition be um
1: i do like the short film format mm-hmm. i don't have anything against future films and could see um, doing that um, for sure and there was discussion of that after our films came out um but uh for whatever reason that didn't materialize yeah. um which is a whole nother story but um, no, I, I definitely am open to all of that. I think, for me, um, the short film is you know like the short subject film is uh, is super interesting. Um, I I really thought them of these as portraits of portraits. The like first two, they're only ninety seconds, and our, My really long film was six minutes, <laughs> you know. But in a lot of cases, when you see art like videos and and art galleries, and this these were shown. And have been shown in museums and art galleries. Uh, like ninety seconds is about as much as anyone's ever going to uh, sure. hang around for. Six minutes, for sure, uh, is is asking a lot. And um, and I really feel you know that we were able to keep it interesting for six minutes. You know,
0: same thing is true in the surf industry right now. Mm-hmm. It's like six minutes is a long surf edit at this point. You know, um, everybody's got an Instagram attention span.
1: I like the YouTube format, though. You? I think Koa Rothman's, um, what, what is it, uh, Live in Easy or something like that? Yeah. Uh, um, I think I think that right now, his, his um, um, vlog or whatever it is. I think that's right, yeah. I think his is the most interesting because, I mean, I had the really good fortune recently to meet... Um, um, uh, Nathan, uh, Florence on a trip, um, uh, uh, when I was down in, uh, um, Nicaragua. Um, and oh my God, you know, what a talent, you know, he's absolutely incredible surfer. And it was so, I felt like so fortunate to, uh, yeah. to meet him and, um, his girlfriend, uh, you know, Mahina, uh, Garcia and, um, boy, I mean, so yeah, I, I would say like, um, the vlog, like I really like how, um, you know, um, yeah, uh, you know, what is it, living easy yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Uh, is that it? It's something like that. I, that doesn't. I should, I should look this up.
0: I'll um, look it up and post. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: and but at, at any rate, um, he is so personable, and I, and and they edit it well. In the fact that they don't over edit it, like some of it is just like, oh my God, like, why are you leaving this in there? But sure. it really gives like a personal feel. And, and Nathan's contribution, like, it's, you know, he, he and Nathan are best friends. So it's like he shows up as, uh, you know, because it's really just their, li- their life, yeah. you know. And they live an
0: amazing life. And
1: recently for the, the Jaws, you know, they literally um, uh, videoed the night before the Jaws contest. And you really see, um, like, in, in, in a way that is utterly extraordinary, like, the, their emotions as they're preparing for this contest. And then you see what they go through, like, like down the mud uh, hill, getting down to the base. And I've heard that described from Danny and other, and other surfers of what it's like to go out and paddle out at, at Jaws. Um, but you really do see it and you do see the the real palpable sense of um apprehension and yeah. uh, of um of uh energy that uh and then you see these unbelievable performances and then catch the reactions uh right after you know yeah. it's unbelievable so i i believe that that's a really good format like this whole new thing
0: mm-hmm. do you watch much feature surf film at this point like the 45 minute 50 minute plus
1: i I will. I mean, I, I'm not as on it. I used to be so on it when I was working with uh, Tyler <laughs> like, yeah. and I was a judge. And so I would just see tons and tons of films. It was amazing. I really love that. I really miss uh, the New York Surf uh, Film Festival, the way that uh, Tyler had it, um, was doing it because it was just um, so fun. So fun. And, I mean, I, I really love the events that he does put together. And I think he's such a an important uh, cultural figure in the surfing community um, that way. And, but um, I, I would say less often now. I'm, I've, I, you know, I do watch um, WSL events because th- I think that they're getting it right um, in terms of how to produce a surf event. Like it makes it's like convenient for me to watch while I'm working, and mm-hmm. and I think that the um, uh, commentary is um, approachable for all kinds of people. And, it, and you know the fact that they've you know narrowed it down to like the the waves of consequences around the world is, is pretty great but I think in balance you know seeing these vlogs and, and you know I, and I know that other people have them but I, I, I believe that um, you know uh, this one that we we're speaking about is the best one you know yeah. f- of the moment and I, th- I just saw that like they're getting like pretty heavy advertising you know now like, okay. just starting to kick in like this last episode like they're getting like you know, which, and I didn't realize, like, wow, you like, can get like, serious. I mean, but these guys are, are just great. Like, they have the, like, magnetic personalities. They're phenomenal surfers. Um, they look fantastic. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, it's like everything that you could ever want, like th- these companies could not pay enough for. Yeah. You know? And it's just them. Like... And I also really like the idea of like, the guys getting into the truck, you know, see them packing up their boards and like, going out to a, a surf check, and there are no waves. Mm-hmm. And then like being like, you know, and then having to deal with that, you know, totally. And, uh, <clears throat> you never see that stuff before. There was surf films prohibited this type of thing. totally. Or it was seen as like art, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I will say that like a lot for me, um, before I met, you know, I was lucky through Tyler and full credit to Tyler, um, uh, meaning to meet Taylor and, and, and those guys, um, uh, you know, I, I got to meet um, you know Dave Wan out in Long Beach um, and got to know the whole unsound surf thing. And, the, and for me, like films like North of Nowhere and uh, Couch Tour and all these things, all these films. And they just, they have a new one that's out now too. But those local um, films, and I would say Mike Nelson, you know, I, I can't give him enough. I mean, this guy is an amazing surf photographer. Um, and, uh, you know, I have like total respect for, um, for his work that he's been doing for, um, you know, decades yeah. here, you know, um, you know, I would also say like, I was also fortunate to be in a show out in Montauk, um, not this past summer, but the summer before with, um, uh, Taylor, one of Taylor's good friends, uh, Todd Glazer. And, uh, you know, I, so I worked on this pro- proximity project with, um, with Taylor and, and Todd and Kelly, and um, it was an, an amazing experience. So there's all kinds of ways of getting involved, and I think Proximity, um, for me, was a new way to, to look at um, surf uh, filmmaking and, and the way that that gets rolled out. I mean, I think, and I don't know, I haven't seen Momentum yet, this documentary series, but that's going to blow things wide open all over again. You know?
0: I think so too. I saw it um, at a different film festival mm-hmm. last month, and I was really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. First of all, the filmmakers don't come from surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zimbalist brothers, yes, they've done a bunch of ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did their research obviously well enough to fully understand the impact yeah. of that movement mm-hmm. in surfing. And then I guess... Taylor gave him full access to all his archives. So he, Zimbalist told me that he picked up, I think he said two tons worth of like it in weight, two tons worth of material. yeah shipped it all. I think he's here. I think Zimbalist is in New York. Mm-hmm. So ship or had it all sent to him and then um, just hired a team of people to sift through all of it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then the interviews that they did with the surfers were like multiple days long you know, nine hours, 16 hour interviews mm-hmm. to get to the point where Kelly's crying basically and telling the story. So it's pretty spectacular. And yeah. it, it also just, I followed these guys my entire life and now mm. I follow them on Instagram. Yep. The film, I learned new things mm-hmm. about these people that I had never known before. So the film, I thought it was very successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, had the good fortune, um, uh, you know, um, through Todd and, uh, De um, uh, an artist here yeah. in New York and a, and a, a truly fantastic surfer and his, um, wife, uh, um, Megan, um, who is also a great surfer. I didn't know that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, she, um, worked on this project, uh, with, uh, Tommy Hilfiger and I got to meet, um, uh, Kalani Robb, who I think from the momentum generation was my favorite surfer, <laughs> you know, and, um, I was like so heavily starstruck by a meeting um, with those guys out in um, San Diego and, uh, and having a chance to uh, surf with uh, Kalani and Benji uh, Weatherly and, and this whole uh, crew out there was just um, absolutely, you know, that level of having fun in the water. And I mean, Kalani is just, it's infectious. We had a yeah. session I think we had two sessions at Windensea and that were absolutely amazing. I think he was it's was like he could have been surfing on the lid of a cooler, I think, and was just ripping so hard. Um, I know. you know, I was just jaw dropping, you know, and that is a tricky wave too. And uh yeah. and it was just like everything. I mean and uh and the personalities that I had seen from Benji and, and these guys, um in the films, and to see it real, I mean, it was so funny, because they are, I mean, they really are so funny and incredible. They're such such magnetic, um, and, like, they emit so much great energy, you know. I can't wait to see the the film. You'll like it. You'll like
0: it. I thought it was really good. Um, And that, Taylor being able to capture those things that you're talking about, where you meet them in real life, and it's exactly how they were on film, you know. Taylor's the guy conveying all that sort of stuff.
1: Well, it's it's so. I mean, you know, you talk about soulful this and that. I mean, Taylor is. like, I mean, he's just. Um, you know, the right. way that he began with uh, with Rob. You know, yeah. just like grabbing a camera and going for it. You know, this is. Um, it's amazing what they built, and it really is. Um, it, it defines. Um, you know, everyone's understanding of surfing. Totally. And people don't really. I um, will will realize that, but they. Um, I think that it's i think it's i'm so happy that they had this opportunity to really show the fact that it is you know it's like how people created this content you know Mm -hmm. you know i'll just never forget watching that film with um taylor for the first time in a a screening and it was in hearing all the stuff that was going on in order to make it you know so because it really i mean getting back to like a lot of the things it's really you know that commitment to making uh, making things that are worthwhile and that are really good, you know, and, and, and putting in that uh, time and effort. And I know, like the crew that, you know, like Todd Heater and, and Alejandro and um, and, and Todd Glazer and all the people that you know, he's worked with. Man, they are just are absolutely amazing artists and amazing. Uh, they really have such incredibly strong practice, you know, what yeah. they do.
0: Um, you follow the WSL. What other surf media do you follow at this point? Are you subscribed to magazines? Do you go to certain websites?
1: Um, let's see. Uh, I think, no, it's it's YouTube now for me. You know, it's like whatever pops up on my... And, and of course, it's the Rothman, you know. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I just, I don't know. For me, I'm really into that right now. Um, Good. Magazines, it, it'll be like... Um, through Instagram it'll take me to articles or this and that so it's going through social social media a lot like um, print media I'm not as focused on and I would say that in all aspects of life so a lot of it's just happening online for me Um, and 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 whatever is can casually make its way into um, my life so I think that Instagram stories really works for me um, because I can stay in touch with I just you know you know, Abby Lair. It's like, I love watching his uh, stories on his Instagram. Cause again, it's like, you're right there with the guy, mm-hmm. you know, as he's, and, and he is so candid and does not bullshit. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, some people are more like super caught up in the self marketing. Like everything has to like, it's like on point on brand, blah, 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 blah. But uh, you know, there are those that, um, are, are less. So, uh, that I think, um, are you know are really cool I think you know Albie like had something I mean he was on was he was it him on the boat with John John like John John's sailboat they're out there sailing around it's going So you know you can really get a sense of what is happening on a day-to-day basis with yeah. these um, people and I really think that that's the way to do it so um, I think that Magazines are still relevant, you know, but it's it's they're having to use all of those techniques. It's really down to technique. I think what the common thread through all of this is it's really down to um, Techniques, you know the passion like we're a ball of passions each individual each surfer each artist and it's really um, Up to technique in terms of how well that's communicated, you know, and right. um, be- because you know from the beginning of surfing it, those passions are the same so it's, and, and, they're, and they're unalterable, you know, like, yeah. it's just that now, since it's a global phenomenon, you know, it's like, how do you like sift through all of that? You know, and,
0: It's a great time to be a fan. I yeah. mean, because honestly, when I was young, all of my surf media came through three publications mm-hmm. and then one Taylor Steele film, film a year, yeah. maybe one or two other films a year. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody else's did too. And so we were all, it was kind of a homogenized um, surf experience because we all just have the same influences. Yeah. And now we're all kind of curating our own experience, you know, and um, that's why you're starting to see different boards being written too, long haul Yeah, long I mean,
1: I've recently started writing like um, Paisal boards, you know, and it short, was because. Like high performance um, shortboards? short Piesel shortboards, yeah. yeah. Like um, the Ghost in, partic- yeah. in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's like, you know, it's probably one of the most popular boards in the world. But there's a reason for that, you know, because it actually works. It's amazing. It's like such a different, it's amazing how something so like you could think like how many different ways there is to do it. But it actually really works. I I was blown away because I saw Nathan surfing, um, you know, his own version of that and Nicaragua and, and and a really critical wave, you know. Um, it was it was big and and super gnarly, and and he was putting on an unbelievable show, you know. Um, in his own, I mean, he's just such an incredible surfer. It was it was wild to at least be on the shoulder to watch it happen. Yeah. Watch it happen. It was, it was like, again, like far beyond my pay grade. You know, did that.
0: you see the way He got a pipe like two or three days ago?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. And of course we can talk about that because it's, it is possible to see that. Yeah. You know I mean, I also saw like, um, you know, cause, uh, you know, um, wave, uh, like, and him, you know, this rock pile session that they did where they like, he, like how did this brand new board and wreck this board on the rock you know it's mm-hmm. like i love the like the kind of behind de- the scenes yeah behind the scenes details like i got this really great new board that you had seen him on an episode or ago ordering from Pizel you know and then they yeah. got them and then, then the next thing you know this great board that he was riding is trashed yeah. you know we yeah. all go through that and we think like oh my god you know but there there it is and i and i really like that and and yeah i want you know, like seeing uh, nathan's uh, waves at um you know, at Jaws, and then see him get this... Uh, you know, these guys are... It's, it's different even now, because now, with the vlog, and now with these clips, like, um, we're able to... It's less formal, and we're able to, like, check in on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, right. as to, like, what has happened. Like, yep. and, and we can, you and I can have a conversation about these um, supernatural uh, occurrences. Because that's what they are. They are supernatural occurrences.
0: You said that you were in Nicaragua. What is your surf relationship like with surfing nowadays? Um, how often do you get to take trips to surf? How often are you surfing locally?
1: I'm surfing locally as, as much as I can. You know, like um, I try to get on every swell and I'll go out on bad days too and, and all that. Um, and Because now I kind of redid my quiver to like, com- like to deal with bad you know, sure. bad surfing, and then we've been fortunate to have good days. You know, yeah. so, um, and that's where I kind of discovered this, um, you know, this uh, this new board that I really think is, uh, you know, is amazing. And the, and the Longfish is is really a go to um, for um, all kinds of days. I mean, I've had it out on solid days too. And it's amaz- and It's an amazing board. I mean, Josh is a, is really a genius. You know? Yeah. Um, and these shapers are, you know, and then. You know I, there, there's uh local shapers like joe falcone that i think are i mean he has this um new board called the albatross which i think is also an amazing board for rockway i've seen him surf it so well it's mm. i mean it's incredible and so you know beyond like you know the the Hawaii, this people shaping in hawaii the people shaping in california you do have um you know um, shapers like joe who um who I found out through, you know, the community that surrounds Pilgrim, you know, and, and Christian Teal's, um, set up there. So I, I really feel like, um, there, there's like really a holistic uh, way of uh, approaching all of this. And, um, you know, so I, I think one thing about surfing in New York a lot, you know, you do have your summer and your winter boards, because like, you know, get, getting into the heavier suits, uh, it sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. And so taking trips is better. I mean, I, I will start to travel more. I, I, as I said, I hadn't been traveling for surfing in a while. And you know, this trip in the springtime for Nicaragua, came up, um, and I went and man, the waves were like, uh, like mega, you know, and awesome. uh, although I doubt Nathan would say that, but you know, they were, but it was, it was, uh, like serious Colorado's like fire, absolutely firing. That is a, a serious wave. You know? Awesome. It was pretty great. So I'm hoping to, you know, do get down to some warmer uh, climates this winter. We'll see. What does your work
0: schedule look like now, nowadays? Are you painting every, every single day? Every day, yeah, every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for you. Um,
1: and the days that I don't paint, it's like I probably would be at the beach, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the only excuse I would really have. And we've fortunately, we've had some good excuses of late, you know. Yeah. Uh, we've had some had some, like that last fall we had was pretty good, I would say, it was, it was firing, like I got, like I remember uh, driving to the beach, and Tyler said it's pumping, and I I hadn't quite got there yet, and I was like, yeah, right, (laughs) I got there, it was firing, you know, it was like, and, you know, the paddle out was, you know, like one of those paddle outs, you know, yeah Uh, for like I was watching people trying to get out and all I was like holy shit is is that one of those days and then when Tyler got down there I mean he has he had he had it sorted like we went and did like a dry like a dry paddle out just because he knew this one little trick to to get out I was like oh that's great (laughs) and so it's because you know I did that I think I was successful with that a couple times and then the tide changed and then I got utterly pounded like um, the third time that I um, went to paddle out the same way because it no longer was holding up like holding up and there yeah. wasn't enough water anymore I just got blasted right at the at the end of the jetty it was unbelievable <laughs> amazing
0: um, super you, fun you said you're painting every day what are you currently working on do you have any um, exhibits scheduled
1: yeah and... potentially i um, working on a group of um, paintings for New York we haven't um, set a date or the venue quite yet um but it's a, I just um, previously did a show in, um, at Yule Gallery, it's E-U-L Gallery in, in, um, in uh, uh, South Korea. And so now I'm working on a new body of work, uh, which are these medium-scale paintings that uh, variously have two figures um, in each of um, the paintings. I think there would be like six or seven of those. They're all roughly around seven by five feet, um, or a little bit, or maybe six and a half by um four and a half feet um and um yeah so they're um new a whole group of new works and and the way that you're seeing them they're in their monochrome phase but they'll be full color like the commission painting that you see there which is uh, one of the finished paintings here in the studio so it's uh yeah no i'm super motivated and excited to be painting every day and you know um it just uh, makes a a lot of fun, and you know, but then for sure you do need a break, uh, yeah for surfing and you know i I did do many winters like going out east on the weekends um, to uh montauk. I miss that because it's so desolate out there in the wintertime, and you can have some like solo sessions out there, and probably not as much now, but back in those days you could and it was really fun, so I feel like i'm I'm ready to ta- to tackle it. You know, I'm still in the four three, uh, and I was, you know, I saw guys out without hoods or booties last time, and I was like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, it's getting too cold for that. Yeah,
0: right on, Richard. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, much, much for having it. me on. Yeah, incredible. Glad to be here. Those old melodies Thank you, Richard Phillips. I've linked to his paintings and short film starring Lindsay Lohan on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And for the record, Koa Rothman's blog is called This Is Living. I've posted an episode of that as well. Also, if you enjoy this show, consider supporting it via PayPal donation button. That will enter you to win that Maui Leaflight board custom built by Jeff Timponi to your specs. A huge thanks to you for that. And also, thank you to the Timponi family. We will hear more about sustainability from Nick next week. Also, make sure to subscribe to Creators and Innovators to catch that Shaper Shack series. This week's episode features Simon Anderson, among others. And then also subscribe to The Grit with Chaz Smith. We'll be publishing a new episode tomorrow. That's it for this week on Surf Splendor. This is David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.